Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. Let's continue in worship now, church, by uh, turning in our Bibles to the book of Matthew. I'm going to want to have it in front of you this morning, whether it's on a screen or an old-fashioned book. Um, Please turn with me there uh, to Matthew chapter 6, and we are going to be uh, talking about the Lord's Prayer for the next two weeks, Um, and I'm really excited about that. Last week, we talked about how not to pray, and so this week, we're going to start looking at how Jesus calls us to pray over the next two weeks uh, through the Lord's Prayer, a prayer that is familiar uh, to many of us. So uh, if you would, I think it would be an appropriate way to start uh, this morning by reciting the Lord's Prayer together. So actually, if you wouldn't mind standing one more time, we'll have it on the screen here so we all read it in the same uh, translation. Let's uh, read this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thanks. You may be seated. If you uh, grew up in church, or even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably are at least somewhat familiar with the Lord's Prayer. If you're like me, you probably have it like kind of memorized, but maybe your memorization is like a jumbling up of like three or four different translations in your head, and so you're not actually sure what the actual one translation of the Lord's Prayer is. Uh, For me, I didn't grow up in a church that used uh, King James Bibles, but I still can't help myself to say, Our Father who art in heaven, right? I don't know if anyone else is like that. The point is, I'm guessing pretty much everyone in this room has had some sort of encounter with the Lord's Prayer. And if you haven't, maybe there's someone, I don't know, this would be cool, maybe there's be someone in here this morning or listening online who's like, Wow, I've never heard that prayer before. Uh, And if that's you, I think you might actually be in a better spot than the rest of us this morning. Because when I started to study this passage a couple weeks ago, I realized that although I knew the words by heart, at least the words from different translations all jumbled together, even though I knew the words in my head, the prayer hadn't sunk deep into my soul yet. It really was just words to me. And honestly, over the last two weeks, uh, the Lord has just done a real work in my heart in this prayer. Like, I'm really starting to find my prayer life to be transformed as I've been thinking about and meditating on this prayer. And I've been kind of nervous because God's been doing that in my heart. I've been almost kind of nervous to preach this passage uh, because I, I want that to be conveyed, and I want the Lord to do the same in your heart. And I've actually been procrastinating it because, as you know, last week I intended to preach it, and then we uh, stopped short of this passage, right? But here we are, and uh, honestly, we could spend, and we might do this someday, we could spend 
a, a week on each line of the Lord's Prayer. Do like an eight-week sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. But I'm going to spare you that at least now, but we might do that in the future. This, uh, uh, this prayer has really transformed my prayer life. And so like I said, I kind of felt this pressure. And sometimes maybe I give you a little bit too much behind the scenes of like Pastor Mike's uh, psyche when he's thinking about preaching. But you feel a pressure sometimes when you get to these like major passages in Scripture. Like, oh man, I better not mess this one up. Like this one's been teed up for me and I better not swing and miss on this sermon. And um, really I think what the Lord's been showing me is, is we just need to look at the words of the Lord's Prayer and pause over them and ponder over them and meditate on them. And then I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do the same thing in your heart as he's been doing in my heart. We really need to think about this prayer. This is how Jesus told us to pray. And Jesus was pretty good at praying. <laughs> These are like Jesus' private lessons on prayer to us. I'm uh, um, average golfer, I'd say. I don't golf that often anymore, but if I was on the putting green and Tiger Woods walked up to me and said, when you putt, putt like this, right? And then he gave me a, a, a short lesson on putting. I would commit those words to memory, right? I would think about them. Every time I stepped over a putt, I would think about, okay, when I putt, putt like this. What did Tiger tell me to do, right? And uh, I'd still mess it up, but anyways, I would... I. I would think about what he told me to do. And um, Jesus is uh, in a different category than Tiger Woods, right? Jesus made Tiger Woods, so it's not even a a good comparison. We need to meditate on this prayer. What Jesus gave us in his private lessons on prayer here is a brilliant poem. Imagine Jesus giving us something brilliant. How about that? It's this brilliant poem that is meant to be memorized and thought about when we pray. And so like I said, we're just over the next two weeks, we're going to go line by line and think about each line of this prayer. And we're going to end over the next two weeks just like we did last week time uh, where you can then put it into practice, right? We'd be remiss if we talked about prayer, if we gave, uh, saw what Jesus said about prayer, but then we didn't actually put it into practice. And so that's what we are going to do. And I want to start by making a couple general observations about this text. First of all, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm guessing some of you are wondering when we read the Lord's Prayer, what about the whole Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, right? Anyone's like, wait, we stopped early. Isn't there more to the prayer? Is anyone, I won't, again, I won't make you raise your hand. But that's my thought when I first read it. Like, wait a second, there's more to this. And so then I was like, maybe it's in uh, Luke, the other version of uh, the Lord's Prayer. Because you see it in two different places. It's slightly different. And it's not there either. So uh, what happened to it? And, um, so I... Uh, uh, did some research on that, and essentially, uh, unless you have the King James Version, no other version of Scripture includes that ending, thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever and ever. And the reason is that uh, it's uh, the earliest and best manuscript evidence we have uh, doesn't include that kind of tagline at the end. And if you want to learn more about manuscripts and manuscript evidence for putting together the canon of scripture, uh, you can talk to anyone who's been in our apologetics class, and I'm sure they would be more than happy to explain how all of that works uh, to you. That's what we've been talking about. But... um, 
point is, I, I like have trouble like not saying that at the end when I pray. So if you want to still say it, you can. It's just probably not originally in Scripture. That doesn't really have much to do with the prayer, but I thought we should at least talk about that because maybe we were wondering. Okay, here's the more important observations. Observation number two. I want you to look at the, the prayer in front of you, and I want you to think about what do you notice about verses 9 and 10 compared to verses 11 through 13. So look at verses 9 and 10, read them over in your head, and then kind of look at verses 11 to 13 and read those. Okay, I'll give you a hint. What repeated word do we see in verses 9 and 10? It's just a small word, it's not a big word. Your, yeah. Talking to who? Boy, that was weak. You got your, right? Talking to who? Very good, yeah. What about 11 to 13? What word do we see repeated over and over? Us. Talking about? Yeah, there we go. This is uh, not a trick question. That's interesting, right? This prayer, okay, so let's think about, is there anywhere in Scripture where um, we're encouraged to think of God first and others second? What's that? The greatest commandment, that's exactly right. And actually, before that, the Ten Commandments. So it's both. So the Ten Commandments are structured this way. Uh, The first four commandments are talking about our relationship to God, and the other six commandments are talking about our relationship to others. And then when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean when it comes to this prayer? I think it means this, that even before we get the, to the meat of like what this prayer is saying, the structure of this prayer shows us something very significant about how we're supposed to pray, doesn't it? I heard somebody saying that, uh, somebody has written one time, I forget who, but uh, they said prayer is often this, it's either help me, help me, help me, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> or Thank you, thank you, thank you, right? And I was like, man, I could absolutely relate to that, right? So much of my prayer, I go to the Lord. It's like, God, help me with this. Please help me. Or, God, I'm so sorry I messed that up. Or, God, thank you for whatever you did. And those things are good things to pray. But where are all those things directed at? It's the self, right? So what does Jesus say in terms of the way even we're supposed to structure our prayer? It's we, we pray thinking about God and who he is first. And then we think about ourselves and our neighbor and the way that we're called to relate to one another. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. You can see that right away. All right. That's what we see about the overall structure of the prayer. What do we see about the actual prayer itself? Let's jump in. Here we go. Our Father. Okay, we'll stop right there for a second. Think about that. We're two words in, and we've already stumbled on something incredible. And this is, again, there's going to be a theme you're going to hear about this sermon, which is these are things that I just pray without thinking about. Pray every time. I open my prayer. Heavenly Father, right? Heavenly Father, blah, 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 blah. What's the first thing Jesus says about prayer? He says, we're praying to who? Our what? Father. Our Father. 
I was studying this, I was, and I was thinking, I wonder if this is a concept that was in the Old Testament at all, like the idea of God as Father, or if this is something that Jesus really brought and introduced to us. And because um, and, uh, I, I couldn't really think of anywhere in the Old Testament where it talks about uh, God as Father. And the answer is, it's in there a couple of times. It's not a theme. And so Jesus made this a thing, if, if you will. He made praying to God as Father. He like brought it into our consciousness. Jesus refers to God basically only as the Father. And he says when you pray, he doesn't say address Jesus' Father. <laughs> what does he say? Our Father. God is your Father. Just think about it. He's your father. That's beautiful. And it can really be hard to grasp this. And it can be especially hard to grasp this if you don't have a good earthly father. You've never seen what a good father is. But there's such a tenderness and an intimacy to the way that we address God and he looks at us. Because remember last week, verse 8, right before the Lord's Prayer, what does it say? Your father knows what you need when? Before you even ask him. So he's not God our distant father. He's God our observant father. He's God our providing father. He's God our father who knows what you need even before you do. Just like a good earthly father knows what his kids need even before they do. God is your father. But he's not only your father. It goes on. He's our father what? In heaven. He's in heaven. Okay, so right away, four words into this prayer, and our minds are already kind of being twisted into knots. Because you're praying to a God who's so near to you. He's so intimately aware of everything you need. He takes such an interest in your growth and your life and everything about you. So much so that he's, a fa- he's your father. And yet, this is the same God who transcends the entire universe. Because he's the one who spoke it into being. Do you see how amazing this is? What a privilege that you get to pray to your Father in heaven. He's above the stars. In fact, he put those lights up there so we could see. He fills the clouds up with rain. He spins the earth like a top. And he's your Father We could stop right here and just think about this and think about the implications of this for the rest of our time. God, forgive me for the countless times that I've thought that I didn't have time to pray to my Father in heaven. Or the times I thought of prayer as a burden or like boring. How could I think that, God, forgive me? Jesus says when you pray, the first thing is remember who you're praying to. It's your Father in heaven. That's pretty cool, right? Is that just me who thinks that's cool? That's, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Okay, let's keep going. Next line. Hallowed be your name. 
hallowed be your name. What? <laughs> Again, you probably had this memorized. You've probably said this a bunch of times before. You really think about what it meant. I hadn't really thought about what it meant. What does that mean, hollowed? Who used the word hollowed this week? Not like, oh, I hollowed out that log. It's a different hollowed, right? Spelled differently. We don't use that word. Maybe Pastor Jerry, thinking about spring, break, uh, spring uh, training, uh, talked about the hollowed ground of Wrigley Field or something, right? This is like the only time you might hear even the word hollowed. We don't ever say that. What, do, what does it mean? I like how the Christian Standard Bible translates it. It says, your name be honored as holy. Or if you have the NIV, it says, your name be kept holy. Essentially, what Jesus tells us to pray here is this. It's, May you be acknowledged as God. May you be seen for who you are as holy. You see that? So what does that cause us to do in prayer? Well, it reminds us of the holiness of God. God is set apart. He's perfect. He's fiercely devoted to his plans and his purpose. God is not your father like, hey, man, don't worry, I mess up, I mess up all the time, right? Like, that's, that's not God. He is holy. We are not holy yet. We're called to be holy like he's holy. But he is holy. And so what does this do? Hallowed be your name. Why do, why do we need to pray that? Why do, can't God hollow his name, right? Like, why do we pray that? What, is this, what does this line in this prayer cause us to do? It cause us to, causes us to think about the holiness of God and specifically, where is God not being acknowledged as holy? If we're praying and asking for God's name to be acknowledged as holy, we need, it makes us stop and think, where is it not? Where in my life am I not acknowledging God as holy? What parts of my life am I holding back from him and his reign and his rule? So it's like, okay, what realms in my heart need to be acknowledged as holy. But then it also causes us to think about the world and the people in it created in his image and how many of them do not yet hollow his name. And so it causes us to pray, God, may your name be acknowledged for exactly who you are and help me to do that in my own heart first, Lord. But we also pray that your name would be acknowledged among all the nations. And among my neighbors, and among my family, and among those who don't know you, may your name be seen as majestic as it is. Hollow be your name. So it, says, it means ask God to reveal himself everywhere. In areas of your heart you're keeping back from him, and to those who don't yet acknowledge him as holy. And right, finally we're going to end with this. Line, we're kind of smushing two lines together. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is, it's going to get really cool here for just a second, okay? So I just need you to, to, uh, to check back in with me if you've checked out. Okay, two chapters earlier in Matthew, Jesus, it says this, it says, From that time, chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Which means, like, the kingdom of heaven is, like, right here. So why did Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is right here? Because he was there, right? And so why, now, right after that, does Jesus tell us to pray for God's kingdom to come if he says it's already here? Do you see there's a little bit of a tension here, right? Jesus says, he's preaching, the kingdom of heaven is here. And he tells his disciples, when you pray, pray that God's kingdom would come. So what on earth is going on? I am so glad you asked, church. What a great question to ask. What's the kingdom? Jesus uses different phrases sometimes. The kingdom or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And they're all kind of referring to the same thing. The kingdom is the presence of God manifested on earth through his spirit. Okay, this is kind of confusing in some ways because we think of God as in heaven, right? And we're on earth. And yet, the kingdom is God's presence on earth. So here's a question. Where's the first time in scripture that we see the presence of the spirit of God on earth? Yeah, page one, right? The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. The Hebrew word there is actually kind of like, it's like fluttering like a bird, like fluttering, hovering over the waters. God's Spirit is on earth right from the very beginning in creation. Even before he brings it into existence, there his Spirit is. And then he's there in the garden, right? He creates Adam and Eve. And uh, we see he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, right? Like his presence is just there, What happens? Adam and Eve mess it up. They get banished from the garden. And so what we need to understand is the fundamental question that Scripture is trying to answer is this. From Genesis to Revelation, are we going to get back to Eden? Are we going to get back to that time when the presence of God is on earth in a way that we are perfectly united with him. And we enjoy perfect fellowship and perfect intimacy with God through his spirit. Is that ever going to happen again is the question. And the answer is, throughout the Old Testament, we see glimpses of it. So Moses leads Israel out of Egypt and he takes them to the base of a what? A mountain. And what's at the top of the mountain? The presence of God. So here it is. Is this going to be Eden? Is this going to be it? Well, no, because only Moses can go up there. Anyone else who goes up there is dead. So what does God tell Moses when he's up there? Build this tabernacle, right? And he gives him all these specific instructions about how to build this tabernacle. Now, what was the tabernacle going to hold? The presence of God, right? And under the cloud, and they followed by the cloud by day and the, and the fire by night. And then we get off a little further on in our Bibles and we get an upgrade, right, from a tent to a building, a a temple. And where's the presence of God in that temple? In the Holy of Holies, right? Is that just like it was in the garden, in the temple? No. Still, there's only one guy who can go in there. And if he doesn't go there the right way, he's dead, right? And then what happens? Well, our buddy Nebuchadnezzar ransacks that temple and 
It's like, oh, this is not going good. When's the next time we see the Spirit of God? It's in the New Testament. It's on Jesus and his baptism. And it descends like a what? Like a dove. See any connection to the creation account there? Now we have the Spirit of God on Jesus has come. And then something crazy happens. He dies on a cross. And the curtain of the temple is torn in two. And the presence of God goes from Jesus. He ascends into heaven. And now where is the presence of God on earth? You. You've heard the verse, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We use that verse like, Mom, can I get a tattoo? No, your body's a temple, right? That, which, by the way, this is bad advice. Kids, if you ever ask your parents for a tattoo, they say, your body's a temple. You say, okay, I'm going to get two tattoos of two, uh, two uh, angels then on my left and on my right because the temple was very decorated, okay? That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> this is not actual parenting advice. The presence of the Spirit of God is now in you. And you function as the temple on earth through the church. But the church isn't the building, it's the people. This sounds like blasphemy, except it's the story of the Bible, And so here's the question. Are we at Eden yet? No. (laughs) But it's better. It's better than the temple. It's even better than when Jesus himself was here. That's not me saying that. That's Jesus. But we're not there yet. It takes one time looking at the news. You see the war in Ukraine and the earthquakes and the shootings that are happening. And then you look at your own heart. You're like, man, I thought I'd be a lot more temple than this <laughs> when I had the Holy Spirit. And I'm not because the things I don't do, I'm supposed to do. And the things I do, I'm not supposed to do. And, and uh, I battle and I struggle. We're not there yet. Pastor Mike, what does this have to do with the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom has come, but it hasn't come. See that? It's here, but it's not fully here. You see, for a large part of my walk with the Lord, this is how I thought of heaven and earth. I thought of heaven's a place where God lives. Earth is a place where we live. It was good. It got messed up. So Jesus came so he could take us out of earth and take us to heaven. So like this. This is not the picture that the Bible gives us. It's this. Heaven and earth united. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. I have it on your screen as well. 
except I think I messed up the PowerPoint. That's not the beginning of the verse, so uh, look, so hopefully you have it in front of you. Revelation chapter 22. There it is on the screen. Verses 1 to 5. Then the angel, by the way, this is the last chapter of your Bibles, okay? There's no Revelation chapter 23, right? Am I right about that? This is it. Think about the first chapter of your Bible. Now think about what we see here. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What does that sound like to you? Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Creation. We've got the river. We've got the tree of life. We've got the light, which is God. It's going to happen. We're going to get back to Eden. When you pray, you're recognizing where you're at in that story right now. We were in Eden. We're getting to Eden. Jesus did a lot of things to get us closer, but we're not there yet. So God, may your kingdom come to earth fully and completely because there's so much messed up stuff. God, may your will be done here as it is in heaven. Make it the same. May our neighbors who don't know you, may those in the nations who don't know you, Bow down to you and worship you as King of kings and Lord of lords. When you pray, we remember where we're at in that story. So we're going to go to a time of prayer right now. And I'm just going to put some prompts on the screen. We're going to think about God as the Father in heaven, the holiness of his name, and his kingdom coming to earth. And so I'm going to put each prompt on the screen. Give you about two minutes to pray and just think about these things. And then I'll come over the, on the microphone and lead us to the next one and the next one and the next one. And then I'll close us in prayer at the end. So go before the Lord in prayer. Ask that the Spirit would really reveal these things in your heart. And let's begin by thinking about God as your Father.
Let's move to the next prompt. Think about God in heaven. Let's move on to meditate on God's holiness. Let's close by meditating on the kingdom of God coming to earth and the incredible truth that uh, the church is the temple of the Holy Spirit.
Father, we praise you. You are a good Father. You take care of us. You love us. You know what we need. You delight in giving those things to us. You are so near to us, and yet you are so far beyond what we can imagine. The architect of the universe spoke it into being. You're holy. You don't make a mistake. You're unchanging. Your ways are perfect. When you say something that you'll do, you do it. When you tell us your plans, you follow through. You're devoted to your people and your covenant. We praise you. God, we uh, recognize this amazing truth that in Jesus, your kingdom came to earth. And the temple curtain was torn in two. And the Spirit came at Pentecost, and now the Spirit dwells in all who believe and follow Jesus. What an amazing truth, God. So we pray, God, may we be agents of your will being done on earth. May we live and act like we're created in your image and given the power by the Holy Spirit to do your will. Father, we pray Jesus would come back soon and redeem and rescue this world. Make all things right. Bring us back to the garden. But Lord, until then, we know there are still many who have not yet heard. And so we pray for those who have never heard the name of Jesus, that he would send out workers into your harvest field, which is ripe and ready for harvest. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.